going to turn it over to him to direct the conversation for us. And before he does that, I want to say again a, a big thank you to Gene Clower, John Iverson Sr., and Mike Gifford for filling in last week. In fact, I'm not really quite sure how we're going to uh, top the uh, presentation they, they provided for us. They did such a great job with Psalm 23 last week. But tonight we're going to turn our attention to Psalm 5. Brother Mingu. Okay, uh, uh, as I prepared this lesson, I asked my uh, uh, brothers here to prepare for a deductive study, kind of top-down study tonight. Um, I just wanted to kind of uh, uh, present a variety of the way of study. So I asked them to prepare for that. And uh, as you know, there are two ways of study, uh, top-down deductive study and bottom-up, the inductive study. So usually, as we study the Bible, uh, the text, uh, we uh, look at the first verse and go down to the last verse. So we follow the verse by verse. That is kind of inductive study. And we uh, get at the conclusion uh, at the end of the study. So usually, I think, I believe, um, as the uh, ministers, uh, when we prepare the lessons, we have to study mostly inductively. We study verse by verse, and we get at the conclusion, and uh, we know what the you know, scripture says. But in delivering the uh, study, we can choose uh, either inductive or deductive way. But sometimes inductive way work better for some texts, for, for some lessons, for some message. But uh, sometimes the deductive way uh, works better. So, but in this way, in, uh, for this psalm, I'm not sure uh, which way is better, but I just want to uh, exhibit, I mean, oh, no, I just want to pr present a various way, a different way to study a psalm. So this would be a deductive study. So in, the, in a deductive study, we will discuss first uh, what the psalm says as a whole. In other words, what is the main idea of the psalm? What is the message of the psalm? That, is, that will be the first question. And then we will uh, go into some other details like you know, structure, divisions of the psalm, and you know, what is the connections between the divisions, and uh, what is the textual evidences for uh, the main idea and applications. So my first question to <clears throat> uh, the, uh, for the study is the, what is the main idea of this psalm? Um, to kind of guide uh, this study, I would like to express my idea first. Um, I hey, think... Brother, you want to perhaps read the psalm first and then, then we oh, can go oh. into it? Oh, okay. You want to do it or you want me to do it? Well, would you read it then? All right. Yeah, your pronunciation psalm five. better than me. Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my meditation. Give heed to the voice of my cry, my King and my God. 
For to you I will pray, my voice you shall hear in the morning, O Lord, in the morning I will direct it to you, and I will look up. For you are not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness, nor shall evil dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand in your sight. You hate all workers of iniquity. You shall destroy those who speak falsehood. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and the deceitful man. But as for me, I will come into your house in the multitude of your mercy. In fear of you, I will worship toward your holy temple. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before my face, for there is no faithfulness in their mouth. Their inward part is destruction. Their throat is an open tomb. They flatter with their tongue. Pronounce them guilty, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels. Cast them out in the multitude of their transgressions, for they have rebelled against you. But let all those who put their trust in you rejoice. Let them ever shout for joy, because you defend them. Let those also who love your name be joyful in you. For you, O Lord, will bless the righteous. With favor, you will surround him as with a shield. Thank you, brother. I think uh, this psalm is uh, uh, pleading to God to listen to his prayer. And his pleading has some basis, reasons. Uh, I think one is God is... uh, you know, God is righteous, and he is a deliverer. And the other thing is that uh, the psalmist is righteous. I mean, he pursues righteousness of God. So that those two, on those two bases, uh, the psalmist is pleading to God, please listen to my prayer. And he, his pleading is earnest, and that is what the psalm is talking about. What do you think? I also focused on the aspect of of this being a prayer. Of all the psalms we've studied so far, this is the most prayer-like psalm. And it's it's a lament. He's he's, uh, pleading with God to help him in a a very desperate situation. And so as as I examined this psalm for tonight's study, um, what caught my attention is it almost is a, it can be seen as a, an example of, of how to pray. You know, we, when we think about how to pray, we go to the model prayer. But I think there, that the psalmist uh, establishes some principles for, for how to approach God in prayer. And, and I'm, I'll elaborate on that more as we go along because I, I don't think that's the entirety of the, the overall theme of this psalm. I, I think that's that's a, an element you can take from it, but, but I think there's more to the psalm than that, and I'm going to let these guys expound on that more. You know, I, looking at the psalm, I, I, I see God being, the way David describes him, this God that he's talking about, the God that we serve, is a God of justice. That's, that's what I get from the psalm, and what I think David is trying to put across is this idea that God is a just God. Just for a moment, I want to go through kind of what David calls his enemies. This list of, of things he says about his enemies, if you'll just go through the text with me. I mean, he, in, in verse 4 starting, he, he talks about them taking pleasure in wickedness. Uh, he calls them evil. He calls them boastful. He says they are workers of iniquity. They speak falsehood. They are bloodthirsty. They are deceitful. They are faithless. They are filled with destruction. Their throat is a, is a tomb. They flatter with their tongues. They are rebellious. 
if you're going to give a list of an enemy, uh, I think David does a pretty good job here of describing the enemy that he faces uh, in, in this psalm. And, you know, we could talk about who the enemy might be or what time in his life this could have come, but think about how strong of an enemy David is up against, or enemies that David is up against. Uh, it's quite a list of horrible things. This is describing a, a horrible group of people. And even when facing this enemy, the, these enemies that are around him, that surround him, David rests in the hope that God is a God of justice. When David looks at the, these enemies that, that fit all of those things on that list and, and he goes into depth of, of what they do and, and how they operate and, and how they live their lives, even among that group of enemies, David has hope in him. David has the utmost hope in him. And why is that? It's because God is a God of justice. God is going to bring justice. He's going to bring righteousness down on these people. And it's amazing how David puts that trust in God in that way. Uh, he lists all of these things about his enemy. And if you were just to stop it right there, many of us would just say, well, that just is the worst enemy you could possibly face. But David changes the tune in verse 11 when he says, But let all those who rejoice, who put their trust in you, let them ever shout for joy because you defend them. Let those also who love your name be joyful in you. For you, O Lord, will bless the righteous. With favor you will surround him as with a shield. And so when I see this passage, when I think about this psalm, the main, the main point that I come to is that this, this God that we serve, that David serves, is a God of justice. A God that surrounds the righteous with this impenetrable shield that no matter how great the enemy might be, this shield will stand because God is this God of the utmost justice. So I'm not going to add much to that and to this question because I see the same thing. When I read Psalms 5, and when you're trying to find a theme or overall, you know, you read it dozens, you know, you try to read it over and over and over again. And as I, as I tried to nail down, okay, what's the overall thought that David's getting across to God? Because it is a prayer which we'll be getting into. What is it that he is really kind of um, singling, at, singling out to God in this? And this, the one word I kept going back to is justice as well. And, and, and it kind of, it took me a while to get to that because... He, he does a couple things here. At one point, at the first half of the, the prayer, after he addresses God, verses 1 through 30, he starts really saying, please, God, punish the wicked, punish the wicked. And then he changes, he has a bit of a bridge in the middle, but he changes his tune, just like you said in verse 11, when he says, okay, please reward the, the righteous. And so when I really realized that, it kind of, what I got from that was, okay, David is, is praying for justice. And something it, this made me think of was justice is for the right and the wrong. You know, someone gets justice, it's not just for the wrong people to get the punishment they deserve. A definition of justice is the administering, the administering of deserved punishment or reward. Mm -hmm. And so I see David here in the morning, and we're, I'm, I'm talking that in a second, in the morning saying, God, please punish the wicked and please reward the faithful. 
And I think that's a prayer maybe we've all said before. Maybe, and especially it comes on our tongues and our thoughts when we see the, the wicked not going unpunished or we, seeing, we see the faithful going unrewarded. Um, and so David, the way I see this, he, he says in verses 1 through 3, this is clearly a morning prayer. Think about David, whether he's hiding in a cave, you know, all three chapters of his life that we see, serving in uh, Saul's court, on the run, or having the crown, crown on his own head. In all three chapters of his life here, he's having to deal with wicked, wicked people, and righteous people. And I almost see this as a morning mantra or a morning uh, prayer to kind of settle himself to say, Lord, today, as I meet with these people, as I deal with these people, let your justice rain down on them. Not mine. Let those who are my enemies, let you deal with them, not me. Those that deserve shelter and rewarding, help me to do what I can, but Lord, I know that ultimately the shelter is in you. So this is a morning prayer uh, um, a, you know, not morning, M-O-U-R-N. Uh, this is a early day prayer that he is asking and pleading for, uh, for justice for the people in his life and, and for himself as well. One quote that I, I thought that also I could attach to that, um, Charles Spurgeon once said that, an hour in the morning is worth two in the evening. While the dew is on the grass, let grace drop upon the soul. And I thought that was an interesting way of putting it that, Waking up, carving, and it's hard to carve out time anywhere, right? But making that time in the morning sometimes goes that much more of setting, planting your feet and setting your day off right. And I see this as David is setting his mind, is looking and asking for justice in the eyes of God throughout the day that's coming up. Hey, yep, um, I agree. And um, that was great. Uh, God is the God of justice. And... Uh, <coughs> David believes that, and David knew that. And so David could uh, pray to the God, God of justice, because even though he was in a very uh, you know, unfair situation, frustrated, uh, frustrating situation, disappointing situation, but he could uh, pray to God because he knew that God is the God of justice. So, uh, yeah, I think uh, we expressed a pretty good uh, idea of, about the main idea of this psalm. Then, uh, sometimes when we study the psalm, study a psalm, we want to break down the psalm into stanzas. Uh, and the stanzas are connected to each other uh, to say the main thing, to, to uh, get at the main thing. So. Uh, I think uh, this psalm is divided into five stanzas. Uh, the first stanza is one to three, the verses one to three. It is an introduction to the psalm, and this stanza tells us that this is, a, this is an appeal to God to listen to his prayer. And second stanza is verses four, five, six. And like Brother Ben pointed out, in this stanza, uh, uh, David, the psalmist, pointed out that how could he, how he could uh, trust, in, trust God, uh, what he knew about God. And the God is God of justice. And the God is the righteous God. So that's why he could pray. 
And the next stanza is verse 7 and 8. And this stanza uh, is talking about, uh, uh, okay, I'm sorry. The, the second stanza is not about, the God, about God, but, but the, uh, the wicked people. I'm sorry, wicked people. But the third stanza uh, is about him, about him, himself, the psalmist. And the psalmist is different. Uh, look at the word, the first word in verse 7, but I am different. I am not like them, like that. So uh, he is talking about, talking about himself, and this is another uh, basis that he could, uh, he could pray to God. He could approach God in prayer because uh, he, was, he was subjecting himself to God, and he's, he thinks he can pray to God, and God will listen to his prayer. And verses uh, 9 and 10, uh, again, there are, uh, these are about... Uh, I'm sorry, I am, okay, yeah. Nine and 10 is uh, next stanza, the, the stanza, verse, uh, first stanza, and it is uh, more about the wicked people, wicked people. Uh, so, but in this stanza, uh, the psalmist asking the vengeance or the justice to God. Uh, for example, uh, verse 9, no, 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 uh, verse 10, it says that, let them fall, okay, make them bear their guilt, O God, let them fall by their own counsels. Uh, so that is uh, kind of asking God to punish them or uh, do justice to them. Uh, and the last stanza is, the uh, generalization, generalization of, this, of the psalmist idea. God is not, as, uh, uh, as uh, Brother Jay pointed out, God is not just punish the wicked, but rewards the uh, righteous. And so this part is the uh, reward. I'm asking reward uh, to God for the righteous people. So, uh, I think uh, this psalm is uh, divided into five standards like this. You know, I, I, I see the same breakdown of it, and, and I saw it all in the context of, of prayer, as I mentioned at the outset. Oh, okay. and, and, and the way I saw it is that the first three verses is an admission. It's, it's the psalmist, David, admitting that he needs God's help. It's, it's that plea involved here and that acknowledgement that, that he can't resolve the issues of his life on his own. Then in verses 4 through 6, you have that second grouping where there's this exaltation. It's the, the portion where he gives God the praise and the glory and, and the, the honor that he's due. The third section, which is verses 7 through 8, I saw that as submission. Uh, because in that, in that section, David is acknowledging, okay, here, here's how I'm going to surrender to your will. Here, here, here's how I am uh, following you. And then verses 9 through 10 being the fourth section I saw as the petition, the actual specific request that he's making of God in this prayer. And then finally, verses 11 through 12, I saw that as acceptance. That's his, his response of saying, God, I, I know you're going to answer me. I, I have hope in what you're going to do. I, I, I understand 
uh, that, that you can do something, that you will do something, and I'm turning it over to you. So I, I saw it all in the context of prayer broken down like that. So I saw it maybe a little differently, but we're all seeing the same thing here. I'm not going to say anything contrary to that. Uh, one through three, again, is the address. And what a beautiful address. I think this is one of the best ways to address a prayer. At the bottom of verse three, he, he says, In the morning I will, I will order my prayer, or I will, I will make my request known to you, and eagerly watch. And it's laying out, okay, Lord, this is exactly what I'm doing. In the morning I am saying this to you, and as soon as I'm done saying this to you, I will, I will await your reply. You know, it's like sending an email almost now and says, okay, you know, I eagerly await your reply. That's giving, you know, that's giving an idea that, okay, I have faith that this is not empty words, uh, uh, you know, coming to an empty throne. Lord, I am telling you this, and I am looking forward to how you are going to answer this throughout the day. So that's beautiful. One through three is the address for help. But I lumped four through ten all together as one big address um, or one big comment of punish the wicked. It's 4 through 10 where he starts in this kind of this language you were talking about earlier where he's defining enemies and saying how bad they are. And to me, I, I, I saw 7 and 8 as a, as a distinct difference, but in the sense that he's saying, please punish the wicked, and I'm not like, he's, he's contrasting himself to the wicked. So it's still in the context of punish the wicked, but in the middle, right in the middle of that conversa- conversation of David saying, please punish the wicked, he's saying, I'm, I don't want to be like them. Please help me not to be show, make my way straight because I don't want to be punished with the wicked. And then, like y'all said, he transitions verse 11. Punish the wicked, 4 through 10, 11 through 12. He goes, okay, reward the faithful. Okay. Um, I was confused. Uh, chapter, I mean, verses four, three, uh, 4, 5, 6 is talking about God. God is the God of justice. And uh, so, um, but I'm sorry about that. But uh, now... We uh, pretty much agreed to, uh, you know, uh, divide the psalm into stanzas, and but a little bit difference. So, you know, this is the interesting part. Uh, we will figure out the kind of train of thought uh, which is lying in in this psalm. Why the psalm is saying this in this part, and then. Say, says the next part and the next part is like that. How he develops his uh, idea or presentation to say what he wants to say by this psalm. So we all, uh, you know, discuss what we think about the connections between the stanzas and how the idea of the psalmist is. Uh, being developed uh, from the first verse to the end. I think, uh, I will do the first, and I think the first uh, stanza, in first stanza, he addresses his, his main idea. I mean, this is my prayer. And in the last, I mean, in the third verse, he says, in the morning, I'll pray. I mean, in the, in the morning, you hear my voice. In the morning, I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch. He says, watch. I watch. So he, watch means I will watch if, my, if you hear my prayer or if you do what, if you, uh, what would you do, things like that. So uh, and then he says, he puts the reason why he pray or why he trusts in God. And he talks about God. 
and he is, he is uh, such a God in verse 4, for you are a God who, uh, you are not a God who delights in weakness, uh, evil may not dwell with you, the boastful shall not stand before your eyes, you hate all evil doers, you destroy those who speak lies, the, the Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. So this is the uh, this is the psalmist's knowledge of God. This is this knowledge is the base that he is uh, uh, that he is uh, you know trust. Uh, this is the basis that uh, that he trusts in God. So uh, after he expresses the trust or knowledge of God, he expresses the reliance to him or obedience to him. Uh, uh, it is interesting that he didn't, he didn't say that I did something good, so please listen to my prayer. But what he is basically saying is that lead, my, lead me in your righteousness. I am here to follow you. I am here to obey you, obey your righteousness. So basically what he's saying is that my spirit is submitting to you and I am yours. So please bless me and uh, please uh, listen to my prayer. And then he contrasts uh, himself with the wicked people, his enemies, and like uh, Brother Ben is, uh, explained the you know, wickedness of them. They are so wicked people. I am different from them. They are different from me. They are not obeying you. They are not obedient to you, and they are not sub subjecting themselves to you, so uh, they need punishment. And then all those who are like me, all those who uh, submit themselves to God should be rewarded, should be uh, saved. That's what he uh, wants to say as the conclusion. So this is the kind of uh, flow or train of thought I see in this song. Yeah, I think the only thing, and I'll say this very quickly, that the way I see the, the stanzas building upon each other is, is persuasive argument for what he's, the reason he's going for. He says, Lord, verses 1 through 3, this is my prayer, 4 through 10, please punish the wicked. Here's all the reasons why I feel like you should punish the wicked. And it ends by saying, culminates in verse 10, hold them guilty. So this is how wicked they are. You don't stand for wickedness, so hold them guilty. And then the same thing in verse 11 and 12. It's, it's persuading and requesting, Lord, please reward. So it's building upon, here's my thought, and here's the reasons why. So it's kind of persuading God, and please, you know, hear me out in this. Anyone else? Okay. Um, then uh, we can uh, find some biblical, I mean, the, the scriptures which will justify our ideas. You know, when I study the Bible, uh, of a portion of the Bible, I try to find other scriptures that says the same thing, that justify what I uh, found from the text. Because if I, if I think uh, the text says something, then I have to I have to vindicate what I, you know, find out. So, uh, this time, I would like you to talk about 
some parallel passages or some scriptures that uh, talks about the same thing that this psalm is talking about? Um, is there anything, any scripture that you want to mention? Before I, before I do that, I, don't want, I, I did want to say one thing uh, in regards to just David's mental state. I think it's one thing we had talked about, perhaps talking about, and the mental state that we see him throughout the psalm transitioning from this desperate, uh, without any hope, uh, when it comes to his enemy listing the depths of their power uh, that, his, that his enemy holds, and he, he goes into depth on that, and then all of a sudden, there's this drastic change, uh, there's this drastic transition to rejoicing, uh, to trusting, to shouting for joy in verse 11. Uh, and that drastic change is important for us to talk about because in my, in, my, in my view of this psalm, David has two choices. David can either focus on the power of his enemy or on the power of his God. And David chose the latter. And I think that's so amazing about David is because so many times I think we focus on the power of our enemy instead of the power of God. David chose to focus on the immeasurable justice that God has. Whereas I think a lot of times I and a lot of times we think about the seemingly unbeatable power that our enemy has. Uh, whether it be the temptation of Satan or whether it be the enemies around us every day. And I think it's easy for us to forget, uh, to focus on the power of our just and merciful God. And so when we look at the Bible, there's plenty of examples of God being a God of justice uh, in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. Uh, if you were to go in the Old Testament and look at Isaiah, uh, Isaiah talks about uh, in Isaiah chapter 30 and verse 18, he says, Therefore the Lord will wait that he may be gracious to you, and therefore he will be exalted that he may have mercy on you. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all those who wait for him. And then if you go to Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse 17, uh, it says, God shall judge the righteous and the wicked. For there is a time there for every purpose and for every work. Then if I were to use a New Testament example, I would go to Romans chapter 12 and verse 19 when Paul talks about who vengeance is reserved for. He says, Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And there's dozens of other passages, perhaps they'll, they'll bring, us, bring, bring our attention to them. Uh, of God being a God of justice, uh, a God that, that brings justice on both the wicked and the righteous. Just as Jay was talking about earlier, God brings justice, and it's not only a negative thing. To David, justice is not a negative thing. A lot of times when we think about justice, we think about punishment, right? Well, that might be the problem. We're thinking about it the wrong way. God also views justice as a good thing. And David chose to look at it that way. David chose in this psalm to look at God's justice as something to look forward to. Whereas a lot of times we look at God's justice as something to run away from. 
And so I think that's a powerful thing that we see from David here. And there's definitely some, some uh, biblical foundation and, and foundational truths that prove our God is a God of justice. And that's why when we look at God, I'm glad I'm not the judge. I'm glad I'm not the one deciding who goes to heaven and who goes to hell. Because I'm not just. I'm not just enough to make that decision, and I'm glad he is. You know, the part of this uh, psalm that really stood out to me is how God is characterized and described, not just his justice aspect, but he is described as one who, you are not a God who delights in wickedness, verse 4, evil may not dwell with you, the boastful shall not stand before your eyes, you hate all evildoers, and then in verse 6, you destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. Normally when we think about God, we don't think about him in the context of him hating anything. He is the God of love. He is, he is the definition of love. And, and we don't often associate God with hatred. But there are things that God hates. Proverbs 6, seven things God hates. And you can read the list that Proverbs 6, verse 16 through 19 gives. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. And you may be sitting there thinking other passages that speak of things God hates. There's um, Psalm 45 and verse 7 that just simply says, You have hated wickedness, in referring to God. Isaiah chapter 61 and verse 8 uh, says, For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrong. Zechariah chapter 8 and verse 17, Do not devise evil in your hearts against one another, and love no false oath, for all these things I hate, declares the Lord. And you may be thinking of Malachi chapter 2 and verse 16. In the New American Standard Version it says, I hate divorce. There are things God hates. And we need to, we need to balance our understanding of who God is as, as not just the God who loves everything, but there are specific things He hates. And those things He hates are always things that are in opposition to His will. And because He hates them, shouldn't we hate them too? Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 8 tells us there's a time to love and a time to hate. But we try to avoid this terminology in, in this pursuit of our culture's ideal of tolerance that, there, that we don't hate anymore, that that's a, that's a bad thing. But it is a characteristic of our God, and, and that stands out to me in Psalm 5, particularly in the context of this concept of justice. There are things God hates, and as his people, we should hate them too. And, and I just want to point out the verses that, that emphasize that. Yeah, I think that's a great point, and the, and, and the best thing about that is that we don't have to, we don't have to guess at what he at what he loves and hates. You know, if there's a judge behind, you know, a judge, a faceless judge that we don't know what he's be, you know basing his judgments on, that's even scarier. We don't know what is good or right in his eyes, but that's not how our God operates. I, a passage I thought about that gives context to this is Deuteronomy chapter 28, where he lays out in verses the first 15 verses all the blessings. If you follow me, here's this blessing. If you listen to me, here's this. But he lays out here are the rewards for the faithful. 16 through the rest of the chapter, he goes, okay, and if you spurn me, if you do not follow me, here are the consequences. So God is a just God, and he even lays out, you do this, here's the reward. If you do this, here's the punishment. And, God, and David here is just calling upon God, 
the justice that you've laid out in front of us, please let it happen now. And sometimes our timeline for that justice is before or sooner than God wants it to happen. But that's what David's asking. Just withhold, uphold this outline that you've already laid down for us. And we have that blessing today. We know that in our lives, that was, as we seek justice for people, that we should, maybe we shouldn't ask for justice for ourselves, right? In the sense that we're always getting what we don't deserve and the reward of Jesus' blood. But even with that, we know what God expects out of us. We know we can see his will. It's not a mystery, you know, disguised in the scriptures. We know the will of God. And we can see what he hates. And we can apply ourselves to that standard from that point. I think what this psalm teaches us is that um, which one God loves and which one God hates. It's obvious. And the ones God hates are wicked. The ones that God loves were and saves, were saved, are righteous. And this is another very important point of this psalm, I think, uh, that David is obeying God, and David subjecting himself to God's will, God's righteousness. And he is pleading to God, please save me, please deliver me from my enemies. Because I am doing this, I am trying my best to follow you, to obey you. So it is like David is saying that I deserve, I deserve this prayer to say to you that you have to, uh, like you have to listen to me. Because he is so confident that his heart is all toward God. His heart is all toward God's will. So his prayer is so powerful. And I think this is also a teaching of the New Testament too. Uh, if you look at 1 Peter chapter 3 from verse 9, do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you are called that you may obtain a blessing. Uh, this, uh, this part is talking about you know, taking vengeance. Do, do never take vengeance for yourself. God will take care of it. But and then he said, I mean, the, uh, uh, Peter says, for whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So if we do evil, if we are not righteous, you know, we lose the level of, I mean, uh, we lose the privilege to pray to God. Even though we pray to God, if we don't try to be in God's righteousness, God will not listen to us unless our prayer is to you know, become better. I mean, it's for uh, us to become better. So I think this psalm teaches us why David was so sure, so confident, about his prayer, because 
he subjected himself to God, to God's will. Because he knew what God wants him to be, God, uh, how God wanted him to be like, he tried to be like that, and so he could pray for that. Like First uh, Peter says, I mean, this is the uh, quote from Psalm 34, God's face is toward the righteous. He does not listen to the evil. So this teaches us which way we have to choose for our prayer to be listened by God. You know, the example that I just came to my mind right now is when I was a kid, I believed that my dad could do anything. I believed that he could lift a house if he wanted to or if he needed to. And in fact, that came into conflict when I was at school, when I was talking to some of my friends. We would get in conversations of whose dad could beat up their dad, you know? It's like, well, my dad does this, and he does this. And I see some of you grinning, probably you've had this conversation before, but when it came to me, I just knew deep down in my soul that no matter who their dad was, they can't take my dad on, right? And some of us maybe have felt that way before because as a kid, you just believe your dad is just on this pedestal, right? You believe that they can do no wrong. They, they, they are just, you know, unbeatable. At least I felt that way about my dad. In a lot of respects, I still do, uh, just because I respect him so much and because I've never seen anyone bigger than him, right? So there's the facts. So yeah, I still think he can whoop all y'all. I'm just kidding. But uh, maybe not Duke Allen. He's pretty... Pretty, pretty serious. But anyway, when I think about my dad, or Jack, there he is. When I think about my dad, I, I think of him that way because of how much respect I have for him. And that might be a silly way of thinking what David's thinking about God here. But when he's talking about God, you're talking about this utmost uh, assuredness he has in this prayer. It's because when he knows, when he's talking about God, there's nobody God can't defeat. These enemies might be great, but when it comes to my Father, my Heavenly Father, nobody can take him on. And that's that assuredness I think we see in David in this psalm. Okay, finally, um, yeah, we did a very good study, I believe. And what would be the applications for us and, uh, that we can learn from this psalm? think quickly I'll just say that justice is from God and not from me you know David David is praying for punishment and reward and for, from him David as a king he had the power to punish and reward who he wanted to yet he still looks upward and says here's my prayer and I'll wait for your response punish the wicked and, and reward the righteous and I think that's pretty powerful that's not up to me to, to answer those two thoughts that's up to my God and in his time I think from an application standpoint, there's, there's much about prayer here. In particular, think about prayer in the terms of prioritizing it. David, as, as Jay's alluded to, this was in the morning. This started his day, or there's a reference at least to that fact. And then also think in terms of, of submission, that prayer, prayer is this avenue in which you approach God, acknowledging your need for him, as David does in the first few verses, as well as acknowledging uh, that, that, you're, that, that you fail that he needs God's help, as he says, I believe it's in verse uh, 7 and 8, 
to lead me, lead me in your paths of righteousness. And so there's an acknowledgement of, of need. I also think in terms of anticipation. We don't, sometimes we don't pray with the anticipation that we should. David prays here anticipating that God is going to provide refuge, that God is going to be the one who uh, is a shield about him, that God will, in fact, answer his prayers. We, we should pray like David does in this prayer with, with uh, making it a prioritization. We should pray submissively, and we should pray with the anticipation that God will answer. When I think about the application for me, it's just a series of questions that I have to answer, that I have to grasp, and I have to honestly, humbly answer. And the question being, am I the enemy of God or the friend of God? In this psalm, am I David or am I the people he is describing? If you were to look at verse 7, am I the one coming to the house in the multitude of his mercy? Am I coming in fear, in reverence, in worship? Am I doing the things that David did in verse 8 when he asked the Lord to lead him in righteousness, following the paths of righteousness that God laid out before him? Am I rejoicing and trusting and shouting my joy for the love of the Lord? Or am I the opposite and am I one of the ones the Lord hates? Am I a worker of iniquity? Am I speaking falsely? Am I bloodthirsty and deceitful? Am I uh, simply guilty in the sight of God? And that's the question I think all of us have to ask and have to grapple with when we read this song. It doesn't matter when we think about this, we think maybe David's just describing the world, meaning the people who don't follow God, but when we look at David's life, we know that's not the case because there are people in David's life who do follow the Lord who are still his enemy. Kyle talked about him this morning. Saul was the anointed of the Lord, and yet he was David's greatest enemy. And so when we look at our lives, we have to ask the question, and when we look at this psalm, we've got to ask the series of questions. Am I an enemy of God or the friend of God? Because the answer to that question is going to determine how we look at the justice of God. I think um, the most important thing for us to have the privilege to pray to God is to become his child. And unless we become his child, we can have the privilege to pray. And it is not righteous because unless we acknowledge God's love, unless we acknowledge uh, His sending His only Son to us, for us, unless uh, we accept His Son and His death as the, the only mean, means to, uh, for us to be saved, we cannot be, we cannot be His uh, people. We cannot be His ch uh, children. So we have to examine ourselves if we have become first the children of God, accepting Jesus 
God's only son, who came and died for us to save us. Okay, um, today we had a, a, a little bit a different way of uh, study, but uh, I made many mistakes, but uh, <laughs> I pray that you forgive me my mistakes. <laughs> but uh, we, I mean, I enjoyed the study and um, I enjoyed uh, our brother's uh, discussion. I, I hope you did too. And I'll ask Kyle to pray and uh, close this session. Our Heavenly Father, as always, we're grateful that we can assemble, we can study, and we can praise you. Lord, it is our prayer that we will um, go out from this service, that we will live lives that uh, hold up your righteousness, that we will represent you as, as your children in the right way. And Lord, we, we, we humbly thank you for sending your Son to die for us. May we never, never take for granted what he did. And Lord, we want you to know that we love you. It is through his name that we pray. Amen.